0: You're listening to the Pimp Crime Podcast. Hey, you. Hey, yeah. You that just clicked on the podcast. I appreciate you. You know that? You mean a lot to me. You know who else means a lot to me? My beautiful Sexy Goods Mill and Patreon patrons. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. And also gameat.eu for supporting the show. Event 10 gives you 10% off their order. And panhandle3d.com, remember, 15% off with Shorehammer, S-H-O-R-E-H-A-M-M-E-R, one word. And you better jump on that because that expires January 1st, January 15th, something like that. So hurry up and buy some 3D printed stuff from them. Come on, do it, do it. Pause the podcast and go do it right now i'll wait okay to be honest with you guys i'm not gonna wait because i don't know if it occurred to the people that already left but you you can just pause this podcast anytime so i'm just whatever we'll, we'll continue they'll figure it out and they'll have to uh they'll have to come back and and figure it out for themselves anyway what am i talking about today well so far i'm just rambling but later on we'll be discussing the most dangerous word in wargaming fun that's right. Fun is the most dangerous word. And it's because it means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And that's when you get smacked. uh, When you have differing definitions of fun. So hang on for the real talk there. I also have a message from Leroy Jenkins, who uh, sings all of my praises and says that I'm beautiful. So he wants to write in about the 40K uh, TV show. And also, I want to review some merchants on Forge World. Yes, they're Necromunda merchants, and uh, we will see whether or not I want them, and see what kind of ridiculous price Forge World slapped on them. What have I been up to? Well, today is Christmas, so Merry Christmas to everybody, and yes, I am uh, taking time to record for all of you beautiful people on Christmas Day. That is the dedication that you get from the Pimcron Warhammer podcast. I was thinking to myself, I was thinking, Pimcron! How could you do for all your wonderful listeners out there how could he how could you brighten their day? How could you make their life worth living? How could you pull them off that edge you know off the brink? And I thought, you know what? I'll come out with this week's podcast. That's probably what's you know keeping all of you going anyway so happy, happy Christmas, happy Christmas, everybody, okay, merry new year, all that you know. Anyway, I'm I'm just, I guess, in a weird mood. I don't know what's going on. It might be the hot chocolate. Uh, I have no idea. But what have I been up to? Well, waiting for the first test copy of Br- uh, Brutal Space to come out. Um, it's in the mail somewhere. It's lost somewhere in translation. And I'm waiting for that. I played a narrative... Okay, no, I call it cinematic. I came up with a new way to do battle reports for Brutality, okay? And... It's called a cinematic battle report, and so far I've gotten nothing but praise for it. People have really liked it. If you want to go look it up, uh, I have a brutality skirmish war game YouTube channel, and it's called the cinematic battle report. It's a test. I wanted to see if people wanted to do, you know, wanted to listen to this. And essentially, I got the idea that what if I hid all of the dice rolls, I hid all of the rules, and I just let the brutal game the brutality game tell a story because that's actually what the game does very very well with the injuries and all of that so that's what I did I set up a mission it was um uh just a a regular it was one of the solo missions it was a wild and attack is what it was I think it's number two on the list in the rule book and um it's these big monsters I use Nurgle trolls something like that they're an old forge world that's no longer made or used And they were my Wildens. And I had my actors. I love that war band. It's a traveling troop of actors. And they're all really dramatic. And I love them. Um, So I had them assaulted by the Wildens. And I rolled all the dice. I did all the things in the background. But you never see a dice. You never see a token. And uh, I do have little red tokens for blood. Just so you can visibly see who's wounded and who isn't. But they're very small. And they blend into the background really well. They're dark red. They're not bright red. And I basically just narrate every turn. Oh, he screams and charges at him, swinging his sword at the monster and hacks into his neck. Oh, blood starts pouring down the rib cage. And, and I, I do that. And you can basically tell what's happening um, every time someone gets wounded because I add sound effects. I did add sound effects and I did add visual effects. And people said that the visual effects really were not necessary. So that is one thing I can probably cut out. Um there's a bunch of special effects I can add on with my video maker um like slashes and explosions and stuff like that. So um I added those and people said, "Eh, it's not really necessary because I was already narrating what was happening anyway." So that that will help streamline it a little bit and um they said some of the auditory effects were a little I don't know, jarring, you know, they maybe they're a little too loud or whatever. So I think what I'm going to end up doing is putting all of the narrative effects on a different track and turning the volume down. So you hear, you know, like, and he strikes him, but it's parried by the blow. And you hear in the background, ching, you know, but it's not loud the way I had it. It was just a test video, but if you guys would go on there, I would appreciate you taking a look at it and telling me if you like it. So far, everybody has had, you know, a small critique here or there, like they didn't like the visuals or whatever, but they all did say they really appreciated the format of just telling the story which I've mentioned before, it's really easy to do in Brutality because of the way the game is designed, and you have so few models. You can really invest in these five models because it's just five models. It's not 100 or 70 or whatever you'd have in Warhammer. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping, oh my god, it's not even a word. It is now. I'm hoping that this will catch on and people will like it. So go to Brutality Skirmish Wargame on YouTube. It's a channel. And check out the cinematic battle report. I had a lot of fun doing it and um, it actually ended up being like six minutes, which is weird because my last battle report, I showed the rolls and all that. It was like 14 minutes and I was like, geez, I don't like the fact that I'm showing that it's a game. I'm rolling the dice. I'm doing the thing, you know, I kind of like just making it a narrative. So I may do that from now on. And it was also half the length. So that's also worth it to me. It's easier to upload. It's easier to edit all that. In addition to all that, I went to the gaming club this week, and I told you, I told TJ, you prepare that anus, because you're getting wrecked. Um, I actually read my book with Flesh Eater courts. I actually used them properly. I did forget to use a rule here or there, you know how you do sometimes, and TJ was very accommodating. He's like, oh, well, you can do it, because you forgot, and stuff like that. Now, TJ's generally pretty much like that, so I, if he forgets something, I let him do it. If I forgot something... You know, unless it's like at the end of your turn and you are supposed to do it in the hero phase and that's too late, obviously. But if you're in the very next phase and you're like, oh, crap, I forgot I've got a spell I haven't done. We'll let each other do it. Like our whole gaming group is that way. Uh, only a few tryhards are not like that in our gaming group. Um, but anyway, so I actually tried. I was in the zone. I paid attention. I pre made a list ahead of time. And the list had some synergy. It actually could have even been more synergistic, but it wasn't. And I really did pretty darn well. I misused a couple things and all that. But remember, this is like the sixth game ever I played with this army. Because I play it once, I'll get stomped, completely crushed. And then I'm just like, meh, I'll move on to another army. And I never felt like trying. And it occurred to me that in the last six months, I really haven't tried in a Warhammer game. I've been um, dispassionate about it. I have not been very attentive. I haven't been in the game. I've just kind of been going through the motions. And I feel like I went through one of those lulls that um, normal people that didn't run a convention about Warhammer and didn't have a gaming club, Warhammer and all that, I think a normal person would have just checked out for six months and was like, huh oh, well, I'll just stop coming until I feel like it, right? Well, it was about in June that I told James, I'm like, I have never been less interested in Warhammer. I'm just, for some reason, I think it's the complexity of the rules, is the constant churning of the new Nephilim or the whatever Ark of the Covenant, whatever they're coming out with. And I just don't care anymore. And this Wednesday was the first time in six months that I can remember when I actually paid attention and I won. I think that's my very first win ever with my Flesh Eater courts, And I won, I think it was 16 to 12 is what I won, which is a decent win. It's not a, you know, showstopper or anything like that. But I did have a lot of fun. I did pay attention. He didn't have to get my attention or I didn't have to ask him, oh, what again? Because I've discovered that I've been doing that a lot. Because I'm playing the game, I'm going through the motions, but I'm not really paying attention. And James would be like, I've got six wounds. And I'm like, oh, uh, six wounds on what? And he's like, on this, arm, this unit. And I'm like, oh, what's the rend? And he's like, it's, it's rend one. I already said that. I'm like, oh, sorry. And then when I take it, I'm like, what's the damage? <laughs> like, he's like, I already covered all this, a-hole. And I'm like, sorry. So that's, uh, that's the way I've been for the last six months. And I'm happy to basically be back. I'm, I'm pretty happy to be back. Matter of fact, I even painted some Warhammer models. Can you even believe what I just said? I painted some Warhammer models. That's been a long time. It might have been the last six months. I haven't painted any Warhammer. Now, I've painted a lot of Brutality models, a lot of Brutality models, but I don't think I've uh, painted any Warhammer models. So you might be asking, Pimpcrown, what did you paint? Well, I have wanted to play my Hedonites of Slaanesh. I've owned them for two years, and all my models that I have assembled are fully painted. I mean, they're fully painted based. It's a beautiful army, and I've not yet played them. So um, I have Sigvald, which is the named character. He's the Slaanesh mortal prince, and he's awesome. He's beautiful, long blonde hair. Um, he's like really pretty and pretty, you know, because he's Slaanesh. And uh, anyway, he's also kind of a combat monster. So I've had him half assembled and I decided to assemble him and paint him. And uh, I did. And his paint scheme came out really well. It it uh it matches my others with the. Pinks and the blues and the whites, but I made all of his armor white and gold. So it's not. I usually paint him gold armor, and mine is white with gold trim, and he looks very classy, if I do say so myself. So I'm very happy about that. And what else did I paint? I painted another Warhammer model, and I can't even think of what it was. Oh well. I I truly cannot think of what it was, and that's kind of disappointing. Oh well, I can't think of it. All right, let's get on the next segment. I've yapped on long enough, and Merry Christmas once again. Let's open the Tesseract mailbox. Hey, this is Tesseract's mailbox on Pimpcron. All right, message from Leroy Jenkins. He writes at pimpcron at gmail.com Hey, Pimpcron. Uh, Oh, by the way, the subject is Argentina won the World Cup! Exclamation, 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 exclamation. Hey, Pimcron, I'm a hot little potato right now. (laughs) Your last episode really got me fired up. I can't believe how spot on your analysis was for Henry Cavill and any Warhammer shows that come from it. Aw, thanks, Leroy. I am both excited and terrified of the news. Warhammer will be incredibly hard to pull off. I'm sorry, I'm just making stuff up now. Warhammer will be incredibly hard to put into any film format. I'm hoping they can pull off a Rogue One or something set in the 40k universe, but not have it so 40k that it flops. Now, that's a really great distinction, but we'll circle back to that in a minute. He continues, My guess would be a Horace Heresy miniseries, Cavil as the Emperor, which I think would flop, or an Inquisitor show that runs similarly to The Mandalorian. If they stay away from any known characters, they will have much more freedom to go in any direction they want and can skirt the edges of 40k lore just enough to keep fans and plebs happy. Love, Leroy Jenkins. P.S. I like the Rings of Power. Okay, first off, okay, I'm so happy that you agree with me. Secondly, you're wrong about Rings of Power. All right, I had this discussion with Grendel, and even though, and this is going to be everyone's going to laugh when I say this, The shows that I listed off, the Ninja Turtles, the Transformers, the Ghostbusters, the Star Trek, the Star Wars, the blah, 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 right? I listed off a ton of properties that are, you know, just nostalgia bait. They cash in on the nostalgia, blah, blah, blah. Um, The one show I had not seen on that list was Rings of Power. But I can tell you that there's two ways to enjoy... Entertainment, okay, and then I'm gonna get the rest to the, back to the rest of your email here. There's two ways to enjoy entertainment. You sit down, you tune out, and you plug in, or whatever the phrase is, right? You're just you're just looking for explosions. You want some people vaguely running from something, looking behind them. You want some fast-paced music. You want a little pew pew and a little wow, you know, like just just some maybe a car chase or two, couple explosions. Someone with a gun to their head and then miraculously they're not killed. You just want some entertainment. And if you just want entertainment, that's the only thing you want. Well then fine. You know, you can you can basically enjoy any set of media if you're just turning your brain off and that's it. You just want to see flashing colors and you wanna see some noise on the screen. I totally get that. I have enjoyed many a movie where I came out of it going, nah, it was all right. I mean, it, you know, killed two hours. (laughs) That was it. Like, and then you promptly forget about it. I think that's totally a fine way to enjoy entertainment, especially movies, TVs, all that. I'm totally fine with it. But there's another way to enjoy entertainment. And I'm not saying I'm the world's best writer or anything like that. But being that I have been looking into... Uh, story structure and characterization and plot developments and all of that, I have really started realizing that a lot of modern writing is hot garbage. And it just, it just is. Like the Rings of Power has so many, I was telling Grendel because he hadn't seen it either. Um, There has so many plot contrivances and plot ridiculousness that I don't, I don't know, I did not see the show, but I can tell you, for instance, If the main character decides to turn around and swim across the ocean, and she just so happens in the middle of the ocean run across the main antagonist, like both stranded in the ocean. That's just not a thing that happens. Like that is such a ask, such an ask from the audience to okay, fine, whatever, that happened, okay, I can I can move on. Then that main antagonist, which they don't want you to believe is the antagonist the whole time, but then turns out, oh my god, it's such a shocker that it is, whatever. Um, he tells an ageless uh blacksmith how to smelt something. He actually suggests metallurgy to him. And he's not a blacksmith. And the blacksmith is totally like, oh, well, that's a fantastic idea. Like, come on, man. This is this is just so stupid. Blacksmithing 101 is smelting stuff. You take one metal, you take another one, you merge it. Metallurgy, right? It, it just whatever. OK, um, then the main character is supposed to be an inspiring leader and she just leaves her men to die when she doesn't have to. They're like, oh, there's people back there. And she's like, screw them. And they just leave. And then she takes a volcano blast to the face and a bunch of people die. But she's totally fine. It just, you know what? It's just, it's just dumb. There's, and that's just, what, four or five of the plot points that just make no sense. And ultimately, you're just saying it's bad writing. Now, Grendel brought up that he thought I was gonna. I guess he thought I was gonna say that I was mad over the black dwarves and black elves. I, I don't give a crap about that. I just, just whatever. I understand it's not canon for that region in that time period. I understand that Lord of the Rings fans would be upset over that. You know, um, if you had a like, if you were a Star Trek person, okay, if you know what a Bolian is, they are blue-skinned people. If they all, all of a sudden had yellow skinned bullions, i guess some star trek fans could be upset because they're like oh, they're only blue and i mean whatever i i would not get upset over that either but uh they already showed andorians are blue and there was a white variant of them there was like an albino andorian race so i mean just whatever i i don't think the race thing is a thing at all i mean That's a whole nother topic, but that's not at all what I'm worried about. It's the writing quality that I'm worried about, and that's what you're talking about with, um, with modern media in general. It's just the writing quality blows, and honestly, I can only blame colleges, and that might sound weird, right? But where do every one of these writers come from? They come from colleges. You know, colleges, I've been to college, my wife's been to college, my brother's been to college, most of my friends have been to college, and... You know, of course, there are good schools and bad schools, but college has got, has kind of become second high school in a lot of ways. Until you start getting into your, you know, masters or doctorate or whatever, that's when college becomes kind of what college should have been to begin with. And I really do feel that uh, uh, college is is letting people down as far as the the workforce of the creatives and all of that there i personally think that's that's the only way we can have an entire generation of shit writers that's the only thing i can think of because they're all college educated every single one of them so i don't know how they all happen to suck and of course i'm talking in platitudes here they don't all suck but you get what i'm saying the trend is some very poor writing and the plot contrivances are just ridiculous so i feel like maybe i look at this stuff slightly different Than other people and if you sat down and you just checked out and you saw some people with pointy ears and you're like ha ha that's fine you you enjoy whatever you want but it's not going to stop me from saying it's ridiculous and stupid um i also think that you know if if they pay so much for the lord of the rings license they probably should stick a little more to the lore um i know they had to skirt around stuff and they only had the rights to the similar uh, silmarillion um which was just like a history lesson basically. So I know they had some some issues there, but ultimately I'm going off topic. And also Leroy, you're wrong for enjoying it. So, let's get back to what you were saying. Um first of all, oh yeah, that was the thing you were saying that I'm always right and perfect. Thank you, Leroy. Once again, every time I see that, it warms my heart. Um and I think actually Leroy brings up a really good point when it comes to skirting around the 40k lore. I think that's a really great idea. Similar to Rogue One, you know how Rogue One had a bunch of no-named people in it, you know, you didn't have your Skywalkers, you didn't have your Kenobis, you didn't have any of that, you had a bunch of aka normal people, you know, and they're, they've they got their their goals and, and whatever, the Death Star plans, whatever, so I think that would be a great idea. If they did start with like a Rogue Trader sort of thing, um, although you are making a splash with your IP in the common zeitgeist. So you do probably want to stick a little more to the things that you're known for. You know, um, that would be like the first ever star Wars movie. Let's just say was about Jawas. Everyone would be like, Oh, it's a star Wars is about Jawas is what their assumption would be, you know, instead of Jedis and all that, the rebels. So I do think that it's a much better bet, and would give them more creative freedom if they did what Leroy suggested, and used the 40k setting, but stayed away from named people, and maybe just showed slice-of-life sort of things for either Guardsmen, or Space Marines, or Normal People, or uh, Rogue Traders, or Inquisition, or, or whatever, but didn't do any, like, massive battles until, you know, if you felt like you had to the end of the season, or whatever, and just kind of Uh, Kept the scope low. That's the problem with a lot of these things. Um, Characterization and a really good story is typically about the characters, not the setting, not the scenario. None of that. Usually it's about the characters. And it's the same thing I've said about role playing with Warhammer miniatures on the battlefield and doing a true narrative game is that all of your people are just nameless people. They're not, you know, when you've got 70 models on the board, you cannot be attached to all 70 of them. You just can't. So that's why you have to pick a sergeant or a character or somebody that is your focal point if you're trying to do a narrative and you're like, okay, I'm rooting for this dude, right? Well, it's the same thing. Um, When the scope gets too big, it, um, it makes the audience lose contact with the characters and they don't invest in the characters as much. So... I really think if they did do like a guardsman surviving on the battlefield and he's separated from his platoon and you did like a band of brothers sort of thing or whatever, that would be grounded and it would be focused and you could really show some of the awesome aspects of the lore while not being crazy balls to the wall action and hopefully that would be taken a lot better. You also need a super simple premise to sell to all of the normies, right? Hey, science fiction army guy. Needs to find his platoon. Boom, people get that. If you're like, oh well, the Celestial Lions, uh they were uh, betrayed by the Inquisition and they were almost wiped out to a man. The Black Templars, now see, these guys, these hate magic, and the Black Templars, well, they're very zealous, and they and they saved the uh, Celestial Lions, and and then, uh the Inquisition was like, oh no, it was Orc snipers, and you just cannot go down that rabbit hole of of. All of the complexity when you're trying to pitch it to the average person, you have to just be straightforward one sentence Hey, sci fi army guy needs to find his platoon on an alien world. Boom. That would be sold way better. So hopefully, they don't go into the Horus Heresy because that's very complicated. Um, it may be a great story, but remember, you're trying to uh, adapt. Tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of pages from the Horse Heresy Novel Series into uh, works of fiction on the screen. And that's not always going to translate very well. So their pacing will be different and all of that. But I do think a small grounded story as the toe in to the pond would be great for um, a 40K and Henry Cavill. So uh, I agree with you there on that, Leroy. What else does he say? Uh, Horace Harris, would probably flop. And that's basically it. So he basically is saying that we need to edge around the 40K lore. And I could not agree more. Anyway, thanks for writing in and telling me how great I am and that you love the smell of me. And I appreciate that, Leroy. And I will catch you on the next side of this. Why am I talking like that? Catch you on the other side of this music. Want that or want that not? Hey, It's want that or want that not with the Pimcron, And today I was, you know, perusing Games Workshop website thinking, hmm, do they have any new releases or anything I want to cover in this? And they didn't. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'll go to Forge World and see what they've got. And I had no idea that Forge World was actually doing Underworlds. I mean, I'm sorry, uh, Necromunda miniatures. Now, they are the typical ridiculous price for Forge World product, okay? So don't, don't get me wrong on that one. I'm not trying to misrepresent it. But I did like it. Under, under Hive Traders, right? It's three models. <laughs> okay. <laughs> three human models. Before we get into how they look, um, how much would you be willing to pay for three human models that are essentially NPCs? What's that? Oh, $30 for three. You are dead wrong. Please continue. $40? No, no, no. $40. Come on, this is Forge World. $60? Okay, now you're a little far off. It's $55 for these three people. Okay? So it's barter for blessed relics, tame beasts, and quality guns with these hangers on, is what it's called. So, I gotta admit, these models do look cool, okay? I, I do really like these models, but, oh my gosh, are they ridiculous. So, the one guy is, uh, they weren't lying when they said that he was a uh, a relic seller, right? He's got, like, a gas mask on, and he's got a crutch, which I really like, and he's got a cherub behind him with a locked box, like a like a money box that's floating behind him, and he's got some bones hanging off him, and it's just... He's got a very cool look, right? He's barefoot, his robes are kind of worn, and he's selling this relic, and he's got, uh, you know, those house-shaped boxes, you know, like an A-frame of a house with a peak, and uh, Games Workshop loves to put skulls in them or whatever. Well, he's got one of those hanging from his hand like he's showing it to you, and it's a bone wrapped in this tapestry like a ribbon. Obviously, it's supposed to be like some saint or martyr or whatever, but it's a really cool touch. It's a very cool-looking model. Um, he would, he would fit, of course, I'm thinking brutality for that guy. Um, he, he just fits so well. I think he's awesome. Um, the next person is the animal seller, right? This guy has some serious class here. He's got a fur coat. He's got a giant lapel with fur, like white, white hair fur. He's got the side of his head shaved and he's got it all like puffed up in the middle. And he looks like he's got a tracheotomy. He's got this, like, hose coming from his throat. He's got a bionic eye. He's got these really fancy boots, like crocodile boots. I mean, this is a cool-looking character. If you're going to pay $55 for three NPCs, you at least might as well buy someone that looks cool. And this guy has tons of flair. He looks like a pimp, essentially. And in his one hand, he's holding this lizard baby thing, which is pretty cool-looking. Uh, I don't know what it's supposed to be, but he's he's got one of those. It looks really cool. He's got his foot resting on a crate, and out of the crate is coming a tentacle, which is pretty cool. Then he's got like a small normal-sized lizard on his shoulder, which looks really neat. And then he's got one of those lynx things that uh the Eldari Yvrain woman has, whatever that lynx is. Uh, he's got a baby one of those. So he is totally cool looking. I really, really like him. He's got tons of personality, and I love that he's selling animals. So that is really, really cool. The third person is a woman, and she has, uh, looks like a heavy bolter she's selling. She's got a heavy bolter propped up next to her, um, and she's holding out a pistol backwards, like handle out. Such as, like, she's like, hey, take a look at this pistol is what she looks like she's doing. um She's got her hair and a big ponytail. She's she's pretty cool looking. She's got a neat jacket with these shoulder pads with lines on them. And um, it almost looks like maybe she took it from somewhere because her jacket's got, like, the Aquila on it. So it's almost like she bought it secondhand and it was, like, a military jacket or something. But once again, she's a little less flary than the first two. But she looks really cool and I would love to have her as well. So they all look very, very neat, and I'm happy now that I found another website that I can look for models when Games Workshop is being kind of bleh with their new releases. Um, These guys look awesome. It's very, very cool, very characterful. They all very clearly are doing what they appear to be doing. Um, The woman's holding a big heavy bolter and a pistol, so she's obviously the weapon seller. The guy with all the animals is absolutely my favorite, and he obviously sells animals, okay? The Relic Seller, unless there's something on his back, um, he's probably the most lackluster of all of them. I mean, he's got the cloaks and the, the gas mask and all, and he's, he's pretty cool. I like the Flying Cherub, but he's only got one Relic, it appears, so maybe he's got like another one on his back or something that I can't see. But uh, all in all, would I pay $55 for all of these? Um, how do I say it? F no. No, I would not buy $55 or pay $55 for these things. They do look cool. I give it to you. If you fork out the $55, then you are a richer man than me. But they do look cool. The problem that I see with this is that I go on Etsy a lot. And I'm constantly buying models for brutality, right? And there are a million models that look equally cool. And they are probably between 3 and $12 each compared to these. And most of them are around the $7 mark. You usually pay 7 or $8 per model if you're buying some cool resin prints or something. So you could walk away for, what, $24 with some really cool-looking models? Or you could walk away $55 with some cool-looking models? Eh, I think I'll take the resin prints, frankly. I just don't foresee, especially being that it's an NPC. That's it's pretty lame. Anyway, that is it. Let's get on to the next segment. Now it's time for Real Talk with Pimpcron. Hey, it's Real Talk with the Pimpcron, and today I want to explain to you why the word fun is the most dangerous and volatile word in wargaming. I'm your host, Pimpcron. If you didn't pick up on that after 224 episodes, yes, this is me. I'm talking to you. This is the real talk. So, everybody loves fun, right? You love fun. I love fun. We play for fun, don't we? The most competitive guy loves fun. The most casual guy that doesn't know his rules loves fun. Everybody loves fun. Serial killing for serial killers is super fun, right? Mass murders just have a big old ball of fun. Yeah. So do uh, nurses taking care of their patients, saving lives, curing illnesses? Oh, that's fun. Oh, yeah. Everybody loves fun. But if you did not just pick up on the very thinly veiled allegory there, uh, fun has a lot of different definitions. So I love when people, <laughs> and this is me, just James and I were talking about this, uh, when you meet a new person. A very common thing for them to say is, oh, I just like fun games. Yeah, just fun. You know, just fun. And then the biggest misconception in wargaming is that when you think their word fun means your word fun, which can be two very different things, especially in the bedroom or in the boardroom or (laughs) anywhere. Fun has very different meanings. So it came up recently because we had a new person join our group and he reminded me very much. I'm not going to go into detail because I don't know if either one of these listen to our, my podcast, but, uh, he reminded me of one of my old players in the group that usually brought the cheesiest shit. I mean, the cheesiest shit. It was Kraft Mac and cheese. So, He would bring, you know, 17 of the worst thing in his army. And he'd be like, oh, just a fun game, you know, (laughs) just a fun, just for fun. And I'm thinking, who is having fun here? You're pinning my army down and just wiping them off the table. Like, what is fun about this? But he'd be having a good old time because he's just, you know, reaming me out. So Uh, and of course, he didn't just do that to me. He did to everybody. And he was not in any way a bad guy. He wasn't. He was super nice. Actually, we got along just fine. But he would bring the nastiest crap and call it fun, which, of course, for the new people that didn't know him, he goes, oh, let's just have a fun game. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. And then he brings, you know, 17 Tyrannifexes or something. I'm just being ridiculous. But it's like, what? (laughs) This is not fun. And he's like, oh, it's just a fun list. Just a fun list. So of course, I wanted to define uh, exactly what the different types of fun are and what to look out for. Okay, the truest version of fun would be that you are enjoying how the game is playing out. And I think that goes for basically anybody, right? If you're hardcore competitive and you're enjoying how the game is going, then you're having fun. If you're the most casual and blase about it and you're enjoying how the game is going, well, that's fun. So that actually is a common ground. But then it goes actually to how the game is playing out, and what you determine is fun. For instance, I love a close game. I almost don't even want to play a game if I don't think it's going to be close, because I want both of us to have an equal chance all the way up to the very end. I want it to be just a few points difference. I want a couple key roles to make or break the game, and I want all of that. That is what I want. I want to enjoy myself, and I want my opponent to enjoy myself. (laughs) I want him to enjoy me too, okay? You know what I mean. Uh, I want us both to enjoy ourselves, and whether you're casual, whether you're competitive, whether you're all of that, people always find some excitement in a close game. Now, the competitive people find excitement because their goal of winning is just outside their grasp. And they've got to really crank up their uh, tactics and their attention to the game in order to hopefully just squeeze out that win, right? So that's exciting to them. Then the casual people just want a fair game, really, is what casual people want. And a fair game ultimately becomes a close game because that's what it is. If we brought two evenly powered armies and we're even playing skill, then you end up having a pretty close game in points. So if you think about it, While competitive people certainly do love to crush people and just win 100 to 20, right? They love that. But they also can enjoy a close game. So there's the commonality between casual people and competitive people. Everybody still enjoys a close game. I used to know a gamer who would basically beat the crap out of anybody he played, and It was not because he brought cheese. Like, of course, he was aware of the meta and things like that, but he would just stomp anybody because his tactics were so good all the time. He was professional level gamer. I don't know if he ever actually did tournaments or not, but he knew his book. He knew your book. He knew everybody's book, all the stratagems, all the everything. Right. And one of the best gamers I ever met in my life. And. What's funny is, is that back in the day, I could give him, even though he beat me 99% of the time, I could get him some pretty close games where everyone else at the time in our group, he would just stomp and it was no fun for him because, I mean, yeah, he wanted to win, but he didn't want to win that easily. He wanted a good game and a good game means close. So the couple times that we were like tied and he still ended up winning anyway, you could tell on his face he was so excited. He was so like, "Oh my God, this is awesome!" He was so amped about it because he was enjoying a close game. And the one or two times I know I beat him one time, and we probably played two two dozen times total. The one or maybe two times that I ever beat him, he was ecstatic. He was like, "Oh my God, that was such a good game!" Because I certainly didn't be uh, smash him. You know, I certainly did not um completely crush him. But I did squeak out a win over him, and he was just ecstatic. So it's funny that fun games can mean so much to different people, so many different things to different people. But ultimately, if you can have a close game, that is where the commonality of basically everybody enjoys a close game. Now, they enjoy it in slightly different ways, but they can still enjoy a close game. Now, how do you get a close game? Well, skill level does have a big part in that. Obviously, a a big portion of that is knowing your army, knowing your opponent's army, all that, knowing the options on the battlefield. But another part of that is setting restrictions, because the more restrictions you have, the hopefully more balanced the game will be. Right. Uh, Specifically, I love the Highlander format. The Highlander format cuts out most of the nonsense in armies, because if you've got one really good unit that your whole army linchpins on, guess what? You can only take that one unit. I mean, you can max it out or whatever, but you can't take three of those units because you just can't. And that cuts out the majority of the cheese. Now, of course, obviously some armies are better than others and whatever, but I think we should always be trying to tweak the rules or tweak our lists so that our games are close. And I don't think that's something that people usually think of when they think of fun. The competitors think of just crushing. And the casuals think of enjoying their self, in other words, a balanced game, but a truly balanced game would be pretty darn close. So it's an interesting thing how we use the word fun and especially the people that love to bring nasty cheese uh, loves to use the word fun. But I almost feel like that's a wolf's in sheep, wolf in sheep's clothing kind of because you're like, oh yeah, fun, ha <laughs> ha, have this candy, child, and then you beat him over the head with a bat, you know, it's it's kind of like a, because that's what happened with the new guy, the new guy joined the group, and he reminded me very much of one of the older guys, and he's like, oh, just like fun games, you know, <laughs> just fun, just fun, and then he brings his five Imperial Knights or whatever he brought, and I'm like, oh, that is your, okay, that's your version of fun, and then he was telling us that, uh, that oh yeah i uh i used to go to this other store and i just lost every single game i ever played so i kept you know buying the more and more powerful stuff so i could finally win and then i came over here cuz you guys have a bigger group and uh and then i'm like oh yeah well awesome cuz nobody wants to play you now <laughs> because all you bring is the cheesy crap um so maybe we can hopefully fix him of that so that maybe his definition of fun will be you know, more fun for everybody, including his opponent. But I've seen him table like three people now. And those three people were like, oh, wow, that was so much fun. And of course, that guy had fun. Now, this week, he did seem to have a pretty competitive game. He was also playing a competitive player. And they both at the end genuinely seemed to enjoy themselves. And they genuinely had fun because I know both of them probably brought some nasty crap. And guess what? the game was probably close, right? Because I can just deduce this, right? Deduct it. Uh, Deduce it from being across the room that both of them were super happy at the end. So one of them did not get crushed. If one of them was happy and one of them was sad, okay, one of them completely tabled the other one and crushed them. But if they're both happy, that's got to be a close game. And maybe we change the word from fun to close games. If you think about that and you you left that as your focal point, not just, oh, fun, arbitrary word, right? There's a lot of things that can fit between that F, U, and N. So instead, say close game. Well, wait a second. That helps keep that in focus as far as, well, wait a second. What do I want? I want a close game. Okay, well, I better make sure that my opponent is bringing the same level of stuff that i'm going to bring because if i'm bringing my 17 uh, tyrannifexes like i said before and he's bringing all guardsmen we're gonna have a bad time right because it's not going to be close so instead of winning and instead of quote-unquote fun maybe we change it to close games because truly that is the commonality between all players and it's just oh it's almost like a dog whistle when someone comes in and they're like, oh, I just like fun games, huh-huh, <laughs> I can almost guarantee you they're going to bring some janky-ass shit, and then you're going to be pounded into the table, and then they walk away happy, and you're like, why did I even show up tonight? Because it wasn't close, and it wasn't fun. All right, thank you for listening to the podcast, and uh, thank you to GameAt.eu for supporting the show, and Panhandle3D.com! for supporting the show, and my beautiful, sexy, bangable Patreon patrons. Thank you so much, guys. I'll see you next week, and Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, all that jazz.